Body Musings podcast with your host Madeline Moon and this is episode 300. For episode 300 of the podcast I wanted to do something special and sometimes when I feel like I want to do something special then I put pressure on myself. So I took pressure off and then I was like let's just do a a normal episode and then from that place of course something to me that's special something that's quite different uh, arose and was able to come up because I took the pressure off of having to make something special. And I was doing yoga uh, for a little bit of context. We are still in the quarantine. And when this episode releases, we will still be in the quarantine because it will be releasing in April and we will be here until the end of April, at least at this point. And I, I have made a I just keep going from one thing to the next. I have made a quarantine stay-at-home resource guide for you. Things that I'm loving, that I'm learning movement-wise, people to look into, uh, embodiment. I I have quite a few embodiment resources. So if you want that stay-at-home resource guide, go to maddiemoon.com forward slash cocoon. Cocoon. It's called the Quarantine Cocoon. Um, And if you type in your email and name there, you will get the stay-at-home resource guide. So with that said, we are in the quarantine and I have been feeling really creative for the most part during this quarantine and the past, I would say four days, it's dwindled down. There's some interesting stuff happening astrologically with Saturn and Mars and they're in conjunction and what this means is that we're feeling really heavy and we're really exhausted because we're processing a lot of shit, even though I feel like astrology is always saying something similar. Apparently it's a really, really big one. So Maybe that's why there is a lack of uh, creativity. I did a podcast recently why this is not the best time for productivity. Um, but you know, a lot of my normal creative spirits just feel really bleh. And for me, because I am a projector with an open mind, if you don't know what that means, I will include a link in the show notes to my, proje- my uh, human design 101 uh, episode. So you can go listen to that to learn about human design. It's very educational and we're having someone come on the podcast to do more human design talk soon. But I have an open mind, which basically means since it's open, the way I work as a projector is I take in a lot of inspiration from the world. So I might be at a coffee shop and see two people arguing and I get a really amazing idea in my mind. I make up something about what they're arguing about and it's something that goes into something I want to write. I want to write on my Instagram about fights and how to heal them and blah, blah, blah. Or maybe I'm taking a very long walk or a stroll and I see something funny between two strangers on the street and then that's something I want to put into my screenplay. Or I'm having a conversation with a friend at lunch and we go really deep into something and that inspires me to 
do a podcast on something and I don't have any of that. I mean, we all have Zoom and FaceTime and phone calls and books and podcasts right now. That's true. But there's something about engaging with life that really allows many of us, human design, projector or generator or not, it allows most of us human beings to access some inspiration, just being in the world, regardless of what you're astrology is (laughs) like just regardless human beings learn a lot from watching each other engaging with each other so if you're feeling a bit of a dip here and there throughout this quarantine or throughout your life it is okay Um, no pressure to go out and hurry and be in the world whenever we can to get that inspiration back just simply by having our earth open back up we're going to be feeling an influx of of creation and inspiration i believe whether or not we turn it into something it's just going to feel fill our bodies we'll we'll feel inspired we'll feel enlightened we'll feel more on on fire i think with with our creative beings aka god i mean we can feel a lot of god from our home but also there is something very beautiful about feeling god in the world and seeing how the trees are, are mighty and strong and flowers blossom and the wind is hitting our face and people fighting or laughing or ordering food and, and how people interact with each other. Like it's all just fascinating. So I have felt that recently, just a stuckness in, in my ideas because I'm not engaging with the world nearly as much. And today I woke up, I did an Instagram story about that as a way to soothe it for me. (laughs) Sometimes I need to talk about things to soothe things. And I started doing yoga. And from that place of just engaging with something that felt like the world, you know, this little uh, online yoga platform, which I mentioned in the quarantine cocoon, your stay at home resource guide. So if you want to know which website I'm using for all my workouts, you got to get the guide. So I was doing it and in one of my warrior two poses, I just had this moment of clarity of, oh my God, it's time to do a full-on sex memoir episode. Like it's my number 300. I've been doing the show for pretty sure my anniversary is like now for the full six years. Um, or maybe it's seven. I don't know. I think it's six, but it's here and I've done an episode on sexuality before I called it sexual shame I've done I've done quite a few and I've had guests on to talk about sex but this one is going to be the deepest most vulnerable most putting all my cards out on the table episode I have ever done knowing that if you are not ready to listen in on my sexual past or you have no interest in it, this is a time to turn this episode off because that is what we are talking about. This is a sexual memoir of 28 years. I'm going to go into a timeline and I'm going to share with you an order of events. I'm doing this because one, this is my podcast and I get to do that. And two, the podcast episodes I've done that have hit home the most is simply me showing up as a permission slip. And that's one of the things that is in my bio and I've really claimed that is that I I see myself as a walking permission slip. I've done a lot of messed up stuff. I've done a lot of beautiful stuff. I've, I've broken down. I've opened up. I've closed off. I've gone through more breakups than anyone would ever know. I cook healthy meals and cover it with ketchup. I have temper tantrums in my apartment by myself facing the wall. I cry. I orgasm. I pound my fist like I'm just a freaking animal. And so 
for me to fully step into that, I have to uh, remind myself and give myself an anchor of like, this is part of my, this is part of my job to me is to, to reveal my past, my presence, my future. So I'm here today to give you a full on sexual memoir. It does not mean you are going to know about every single thing I've ever done sexually, of course not, but I'm going to share some of the most important milestones in my life, good and bad. Um, some of the shame that was created throughout my life and, uh, where I'm at now, like where I'm, how I'm healing right now. So this is, I, you know, I'm just starting this. I don't know how long this episode is going to go, but considering what we're talking about, it might be a long episode. Feel free to listen to it in chunks if that is what feels best. And we're going to start with my childhood. Okay, ladies and gents. So you've heard this story before, possibly, maybe not. Maybe you've never even been on this podcast before and you're just like, oh, sexual memoir. I want that. So I'm going to go into my uh, my upbringing because it, it's incredibly important for this story. And your upbringing may be very different, but I think there is some very similar pain body for all women in what I share. Like my experience might be different from yours and still have a very similar result. Or maybe you've had the polar opposite experience with sexuality throughout your life. Maybe mine was repressed and so maybe yours was actually exploited and you were seeing very sexual images and graphics and and sex was a big deal of your life from a young age and then you grew up and you were a love addict or a sex addict and you had the polar opposite uh, experience and response to sex but deep down there's still a core wounding that's very similar so and that's typically uh, shame and sexualizing our shame so listening to my story it's it may be different from yours but I'm inviting you to find or keep your eye out, your ears out for some similar threads. And if you are a male listening to this, just know that a lot of women have this experience. So when you want to have sex or when sex might feel not that complicated to you, there might be a lot going going on underneath in your partner that she's not wanting to talk about or she's not open to. And you having this understanding of a very common story, because mine is quite common for most women. It's it's more to her when y'all have sex than maybe it is to you. So treat her with care. Hold her with care understand that for any woman to be entered by someone is a very vulnerable experience she's literally being penetrated by your body by your energy everything she's trusting you wholeheartedly and her womb space is intimately connected with her heart space even if she puts on a front and she's more of that quote masculine energy she may not be deep down she may have the most tender heart And it's just taking some time for her to unravel all of those stories and messages she picked up along the way. And being tenderhearted, by the way, does not mean necessarily treating her like Thumbelina. You can handle someone's heart with care while having the most wild, beautiful, delicious, rough sex if you want. Okay, before we go into this, I want to give a little disclaimer about this episode, obviously, we're going to be talking about sex. I'm also going to be sharing some of the more challenging aspects of my life and my childhood. And uh, it's always a very sensitive thing for me to come on here and share about my own upbringing and experiences because I never want to talk about anyone from my family in a way that provokes shame on them. 
everyone that I was raised by, everyone in my life, I know I like I have so much so much awareness around everyone's just trying to do their best. Their best just isn't always what is the most conscious. So I don't share anything from my childhood with my family to shame or blame or receive any pity. My entire childhood was so perfect in its own way and meant to be. And though what I will share on some aspects will sound, and I'll use the word like emotionally abusive. I'll say there were things that were emotionally abusive or manipulative because they were, and I'm fully owning that part of my past. And um, I don't like to give names or specifics of who said what, who did what. So um, we'll let that go for now, but know that I'm not trying to speak for anybody and they're not here to quote, defend themselves in my family who contributed to some of my um, some of my journey. So know that they're not here to defend themselves. And I'm not trying to be on the offense here towards anyone in my family. I love everyone in my family. And what they did was the best that they could. And so the, like, no matter what, we are all as adults get to look back in our past and say, oh, that was kind of crappy. Even if you were raised with the most wholesome, nurturing family or in a family that was less than perfect and not so stellar, we all have our own issues and things that we've had to go through. Okay, so I was raised in a Christian household. Um, my experience with Christianity may be different from a lot of people's. I know that there are people that were raised Christian that uh, were also encouraged to explore their beliefs, explore their interests, and their family was truly having, truly keeping love at the center of the religion. Like, be love, share love. That is not my experience at all. So I'm not going into all the different sides of my religious background. I'm going to keep on with this is a sexual memoir, so we're staying on that thread. So tying in being raised in a conservative Christian household, but it's more so than that. I was also raised with a lot of emotional manipulation and abuse. So I think that's part of my message I need to start shifting a little bit, is not just starting with uh, Christian household. I need to give more context that it was a quote Christian household that was driven by tactics that were very emotionally manipulative and abusive and 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 verbally abusive. So that is how I grew up wanting to do things as perfectly and as right as possible. Because at any moment, if I did not do something right. And I had to guess what was right. I never knew because the, the pattern was never the same. What was right today was not right tomorrow. Right next week, I could be right, 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 good girl, good girl, good girl. And then all of a sudden, I'm a bad girl. And all of a sudden, I have something I love being taken from me. And this is not like a toy being taken from you. It is a fundamental aspect of nourishment, a fundamental piece of nourishment that was taken from me. And alongside having important things taken from me like love and friendship and beauty I would also be told at the same time that it wasn't being taken from me so I'd have things taken from me and then be told that I didn't and then I'd be left very gaslit and very confused like wait did I did I not wait what's happening so this started when I was like three years old of having sources of love taken from me and then being told they're not being taken from me but they're not in my life anymore and it was very confusing so yeah there's a lot of reasons why 
I lacked intuition in my life. It was not nurtured. And anything that was intuition was taught, was taught to me by the people I, you know, I saw as gods. They were gods to me as a child. Um, that they were telling me that it wasn't being taken from me or that um, it didn't happen. There was a lot of that. Something would happen and I would be told it didn't happen. Um, and so if these people in my mind were like gods, who else would I believe? Like, these are my parents. They're the, they're the, the ultimate grownups. That's what my child, my child mind thought. So going into sexuality and being raised with these beliefs of right and wrong, good and bad, there's something that I heard all the time when I was young. And that was to be a, a good moon girl. Like the moon girl was a big deal. If you don't know this, moon is my last name for real. It's not a made up last name. So from ch a child, from being a child, I would be told you are to be a good girl, a good moon girl, the moon reputation. I heard that all of the time. Growing up, I had laminated acronyms, laminated contracts. I had all sorts of quotes and phrases all around my room about being a good girl. I had, I think, like an acronym for modesty hung up in my closet and I had to go through a checklist to make sure what I was wearing was appropriate. And I had some sort of little laminated contract that was in my wallet at all times. And this is from the moment I hit puberty. But there were things that happened even when I was younger than that. Like I started getting the messages when I was quite young that there's three things I remember in particular growing up. How do you know when a boy is lying? When he opens his mouth. That was the only thing I ever heard about boys. The only thing. Really think about that. I, I did not ever hear that boys can be trustable. It makes me want to cry, honestly, because boys are just human beings you know they're just they're just kids trying to find their own way and to be a little girl that was raised to believe that 50 percent of the population is not trustable and are liars and thieves and cheaters and 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 mean I grew up with a lot of fear I every time a boy wanted to be my friend or talk to me I didn't I was told not to trust them so major trust issues there the, the second thing was they only ever want one thing. So I also learned boys only ever want one thing from you, and that's your sex. And that is also simultaneously the most important thing in your entire life. The minute you are no longer a virgin, you are no longer uh, really quite useful. Like it's that old, old, old mindset of a woman is ruined whenever she has sex. A lot of, again, if if you're a guy listening to this, a lot of women, a lot of women that you have dated who may have seemed pretty tough have had this same struggle of being raised and taught that they're only useful for one thing. Because the third thing that I grew up hearing every single day is why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free, which is such a disturbing motto or quote why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? So, you know, why would anyone ever want to spend their life with me? Quote, buy me, put a ring on me again. Like, I'm not a freaking cow. You're not a cow. We cannot be bought. So even the mere thought of comparing a woman to a cow that is purchased, being a child hearing that message all the time makes you begin to think that you are or your purpose is to be bought. Hopefully you're pretty enough. Hopefully you keep your virginity because if you're not bought, sorry, you're going to be out in the streets or you're always going to be under your daddy's wing and he's going to get annoyed with you because he doesn't want to hold on to you anymore. Like it makes you feel unwanted. So 
My very first kiss. I mean, I have all these messages in my head. I, I, I care about them, but also I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a cute little girl. I want to like go experience. And so I had this guy that this, this beautiful, very short boy that I had such a crush on. And I remember being on AIM one night and he asked me on a date to go see a movie. And I was so excited. I said, uh, asked my mom, I said, can I go? And and uh, by the way, just to get an AIM screen name took me about two weeks with my parents because I would think of all these names I wanted to choose and they'd say no. I remember one was like uh, bubbly blonde and they said no to that. And then one was like, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny looking back. I think one was like, I love cherries and they said no to that. Um, and then I picked another one that was like Snow White and they said no to that. Like every single thing was a sexual connotation everything every nickname I could come up with and I didn't understand why they were saying no to everything I picked and even if I had something it would be taken away from me all the time I'd be allowed to watch a show and then all of a sudden they decided that I couldn't have it and that would be taken from me or I would be allowed to have a certain kid as a friend and then they'd be taken from me and so then as a child I had this massive responsibility to try to set a boundary with a person that I really loved a kid I really loved and wanted to spend with and then simultaneously having to keep my eye out to see if any adults that were friends with my parents saw me talking to that kid and then would go tell my parents and then I would be in trouble. All right, so I get invited by this boy to go to a movie and I get approval and I say, yay, I can go. And we go, we get dropped off. And this boy, uh, he, he, I think that was my first like sexual message he sent me. He sent me something on AIM before and was like, I was like, I can't wait to watch the movie. Y'all, I have braces, like the kind of braces that food gets stuck in all the time. I have a Walmart haircut. I'm wearing, I don't even know, just like really dorky clothes. And, and I'm just like so innocently excited to be going to the movie theater with this kid. And, and I said something like, I'm so excited to go to the movies. And he said something to me like, I'm so excited to watch the inside of your mouth. <laughs> I don't know. It's like something like that. And... Then we go, and of course, I have to sit through this whole movie with his arm around me. I, how did, is this comfortable for anyone? Has anyone ever had an experience where you're at the movie theater, and a guy puts his arm around, it's like, it's like your shoulder, but a little bit below, so both suck, though. Even if it's right underneath your neck, your head is like cracked back and it just doesn't feel good or if it's right underneath your shoulder and your upper back that hurts your upper I just didn't like it at all so I sat through it because I didn't know how to say excuse me can we move your hand uh into my hand and we can just hold hands I didn't want to ruin the moment I didn't want to uh upset the mood or upset him and we're 13 like even then I'm keeping my mouth quiet not to upset anybody so I move his hand into my hand he doesn't kiss me the whole time, even though he's definitely like groping me, holding my arms and all these things. And then we leave the theater and he gives me a little peck when his mom comes to pick him up. I was smiling ear to ear. This is my first peck. And I'm so excited. It feels so good. I get into the car. My mom picks me up and I'm smiling and she asked me, what is it? And I didn't want to tell her, but I ended up telling her he kissed me. And... This car ride is one of the most traumatic car rides of my entire life because I was yelled at intensely. Um, There's so much shame. I, I thought I did so many wrong things. And uh, I remember sitting in, oh my God, I just, again, I want to cry. I remember sitting in the garage being 
yelled at just wanting to go inside of the house and run up to my room. I was not really allowed privacy when I was young uh, or at all throughout living at home until I was 18 and I left uh, for college early. But I wasn't allowed any privacy. So I knew even when I, if I ran up to my room, she'd come right after me and open my door and make me keep my door open as I cried and maybe make me come back downstairs to watch a movie with them because I was never allowed to be mad at them. So I would, I would just crying inside of the garage, feeling so much shame, feeling so dirty and just feeling really trapped and really afraid. And that's when I learned I really can't say anything. Nothing is safe. I cannot say anything. If I want to not feel this way, I cannot tell her anything that's magical about my life ever. And I had about a stack of four Christian books I had to read about sexuality and dating. And I wasn't allowed to spend time with a boy, I think, until I read all those. And that was my first peck. So then my first makeout was I was in the marching band and there was a boy that was two grades older than me and my mom thought he was really cute for me and he was blonde. We definitely, definitely looked like brother, sister, like very much so. And he was uh, in the drum line and I had such a big crush on him and my, my parents approved that if he wanted to date me. We could date, and he was super flirty with me. I'm in ninth grade. He's in 11th grade. And a long story short, we did start to date, and he's the first guy I ever, like, did stuff with. Like, I saw stuff, and he saw stuff. And we were very hesitant. I was very shy all the time. So everything was, like, kind of half in, like, kind of touching each other, but not really. Um, I started getting really intimate with shame, <laughs> really intimate with shame. I never think, I, I don't think I ever had a night with him where we watched a movie and uh, we let our hands roam that I didn't leave feeling terrible. So guilty. You know, why would you buy the cow if you, if they can get the milk for free? And I also was told that one day if I'm married or when I'm married, I'm going to have to recount to my husband the amount of men I slept with I'm gonna have to tell him and confess to him every single person I had slept with and at that point he'll have to decide if he still wants to be with me after knowing who I've slept with so that was a mechanism to keep me from sleeping with people was thinking one day I'd have to experience that shame again Um, and shame's pretty powerful I think we all know that so I was willing to do as much as I could to avoid that conversation because that sounds terrible to have to uh recount every terrible sexual experience with your future partner and then them maybe stay with you if you're still worth it so I kind of fooled around with Nick and oops (laughs) I don't want to say his name (laughs) I kind of fooled around with Bobby and um we had some romantic nights you know he lived in the country and so we'd put out a blanket and look at the stars and we always locked eyes in the band and we would march together right we would be wearing our band uniforms and our first makeout was kind of planned it was coming back from a uh, long distance marching band performance and it was at night and he told all of my good friends because we all had we had the same group of friends the marching band and he told everyone, I'm going to kiss Madeline tonight. And you know why he did that? He did that because that day in band practice, I wore my bright green capris that said, kiss me, I'm Irish. And he looked at them and he was all shy and he was like, oh, oh, it's time. <laughs> and I remember him being like, I, I get it. I get it. I, I just, just wait a bit. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it was like that night, I think. And he ended, oh man, he ended up, uh, I still remember because we were in, 
the marching band bus and all my friends were like surrounding us kind of and they knew it was gonna happen and I rested my head in his lap to sleep because I was exhausted and then I next thing I know his blonde hair blue eyes is coming straight for me and we both keep our eyes wide open we'll never forget that first make out with both of our eyes wide open staring into each other's eyes and my first taste of a tongue and being like whoa and like you can imagine my eyes got even bigger so we have can you just imagine like two super blonde kids at the back of a marching band bus uh I'm like really crookedly angled because I'm laying in his lap and turned up and then he's hunched over and then both of our eyes are wide open staring into each other and then we're tasting tongues for the first time and we're kind of freaking out and kind of excited too and so that was my first kiss kiss then Several months later, I go to church camp and there's one of these nights in church camp, every church camp that's like being, it's like the major be forgiven for all of your sins night. Super emotional. Everyone is crying and thinking about all the bad things they've done as kids. And I could only think about fooling around with Nick, touching each other and I ended the night uh, calling my parents, crying, confessing, because the guilt was so strong. And they told me at church camp, okay, that's fine. It's fine. We love you. You just got to call Nick and break it, break it off. Call Bobby. Jeez, Madeline, why can't you get your shit together? Call, break up with him, and it's over. And so I did because I was so much in, uh, I was so remorseful. And poor him, he was just like, what? Like, he didn't know what happened. I never explained it to him because I was full of so much shame and confusion. I didn't know what to do. I was kind of taught that once you're done with something, you're done with it too. So I just was like, all right, bye. You know, that's it. And that to him probably felt in his nervous system like abandonment and being gaslit, having questions, not getting them answered. So after that, I had my privilege of dating older guys taken away from me. I couldn't date any older guys again. I could only date my age because shame on them guys for kissing me and for being interested in me. I got a little older and I had some kissing sessions and making out sessions. When I was in high school, y'all, I made out so much. I loved kissing and I started a little thing with bad boy who is to this day like my bestest, bestest friend. He was the bad boy that would be smoking cigarettes at Starbucks every single day like the baddest kid at the private Christian school. Everyone knew him and we were such an interesting match because I was, as everyone knew, the really, 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 really good girl. And he was the really, really bad girl. So everyone loved this relationship because what? It's just weird. And we discovered together how much I loved boob hickeys so much. It was painful. It was like painful. And something about that pain of my most sensitive part getting hickeys and also having the secret was one of my most favorite things I had ever experienced loved it to this day I still love it there's it's just a whole I mean it's not only is it very sensitive there but having a mark left on me I adore I'm also a little sadistic I like pain and pleasure together the first memory I ever have of being turned on the very first memory of being like, what is this? Why am I so excited? Is watching the Fellowship of the Ring when Frodo has three different scenes he gets hurt. First time when he gets stabbed. Second time when that sea monster like raises him up in the air and drops him in the water and tries to eat him. And then the third time when, I'm sorry, I forget what, just the big troll, the big troll like stabs him in the heart. And like all three times I'm like so turned on as a child. (laughs) 
I don't know. That's just, you know, when you're raised probably with so much repression around your sexuality and not being allowed to experience it, weird things turn you on. For me, it's a lot of, it was at least a lot of, of that, of like a really hot character. Yeah, I was a in love with Frodo. If you don't know this, just keep listening to this podcast. You'll hear me talk about it often. Um, by the way, the guy I just shared the story with, the band camp guy, he asked me out to be his girlfriend in Elvish. Then he bought me Arwen's pendant. I wore Arwen's pendant because my boyfriend bought it for me. I am such a princess. I am a elf princess. Lucky me. So fast forward again. Um, yeah, so I really like combining pain with pleasure. I feel really nourished when I receive it. And maybe that's something we can get into in this episode or another episode. But there's there's a gift within these things that we crave sexually. There's always a gift. For me, it was like this, it was, it was, maybe I was raised with so much protection that having this opposite experience, a little bit of thrill and danger, keep in mind, it's only healthy when it's done with a partner who does it carefully and with love. I've had, I've had partners in my life that wanted to do pain because it made them feel powerful. It was for them and it was out of ego and it was out of insecurity. That feels different in your nervous system. It's very different from when you receive it through love, through a gift, because I've had partners who might want to choke me and I want to be choked and they do it because they know it's, it's good for me. It's nourishing for me. It gives me something. And so they're giving me a gift and they're doing it with their, themselves connected to their heart. They're not doing it so that they feel powerful. Very, very different. I have to make that very clear. I don't just enjoy pain sexually, period. It has to be through love. It's like an offering. It's a way we can actually feel closer to God. Not just pain too. It's whatever it is that you like. Maybe there's bondage and something about a very powerful human being that's always in control feels really nourished by being in complete opposite of control, totally surrendered, totally submissive. There's a gift in that. It's a gift to be able to experience, to let go everything. So going back to my sexual memoir, um, we discovered I really liked my boob hickeys and I really liked the feeling of being claimed and I really liked having a mark that only I could see. So we break up. Uh, life just moves on. I decide to graduate from college a year early so it could get out of my house. And I went immediately to Arkansas. And in Arkansas, ooh, I did a lot of experimenting. Um, I was deep in my eating disorder. I also started taking Adderall so that I could take tests better and more efficiently. I was in a sorority that drank, 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 drank. And so I'm a little bit of a mess. I don't know what, if you were to ask me if college, like, was good for me and I need I really don't know what to tell you I learned a lot um I learned a lot of life skills I think in college because I got a lot of that out of my system and um I I got really unhealthy I had some very unhealthy experiences I dealt with a lot of shame the same friend thing happened um of like having friends and having them taken from me, having things I loved and having them taken from me. So my parents paid for my college and that was one of the ways that uh, my my mother would find she could control me of like I would have to come back to a community college unless I went to church every Sunday and I only had the church friends and all of these things. Um, but I didn't I, I didn't live by that, as you can see. I, I enjoyed myself and I did explore because this was the time for me to do so. And it was not healthy. I'm not saying it's healthy. I'm not saying this was 
the healthiest time of my life and I'm so grateful for it, but I am grateful for it because it did teach me a lot. And I went through a lot of really big life lessons of like how to be a good friend. I did some crappy things in high school. I slept over at a guy's house that my friend really liked and um, she was heartbroken and I didn't know how to apologize for it. And so I thought, well, just time to make new friends because that's how I was raised. I was raised to not have loyalty to friends and that friends want to always leave me and that I don't know how to make friends. I was told that over and over in my childhood. Madeline, you don't know how to make friends. People do not like you. You begin to hear that enough. You start to think, oh, no one likes me anyways. I don't owe anyone loyalty. I don't need to stick around. No one will ever be loyal to me. Guy, girl, guys lie. Like just so much negativity in my mind and in my body and these stories. So it led me to doing stupid things. It didn't lead me to be more protected. It led me to sleep over at a guy's house that I liked, that my friends liked, not caring. And I went through a little bit of a cycle of doing that. And I don't think I'm the only girl. When you're in a sorority, you just, you like a guy and someone else might like the guy. And so I'm not judging myself or blaming myself for this because nothing is clear cut. My encouragement to you is if you're holding on to anything like that, just forgive yourself, my loves. Forgive yourself. It's okay. We're, this is how we learn. This is how we learn what loyalty is, is by not being loyal. We learn what feels good in relationship by doing what doesn't feel good. And anything you've done, I promise you I've done it probably and someone else has done it. We just have to, we have to experience life in order to know how we want to live life. So I don't take back anything I did back in those days. I, uh, of course, look back at that time with love for those other girls that I hurt and love for myself for being so confused during a lot of the time. But also I didn't have the tools. Clearly, I didn't have any tools. I had to learn that all after college. So once I go off to college, I had an obsession with this guy. I mean, like deep in my body obsession on the floor at 3 a.m. crying because he doesn't love me still to this day. I mean, he was the first guy I ever went past making out with. And I think he left a biological imprint in my body. And he just didn't really like me. I don't know why. I mean, he liked me, but he didn't like me like me. And I went through a lot of heartache of calling my mom at 4 a.m. and being like, I want him to love me. Why doesn't he love me? And that was one of my first experiences of um, uh, experiencing like, because this guy was, I would say, emotionally manipulative as like very emotionally manipulative as well. And that's why he hooked me so deeply is because I never knew if he wanted me, he didn't want me. If he was coming over, I'd get a text from him that he's walking over to the sorority house to see me. And, and then I wouldn't hear from him for two weeks. It was just a push and pull. And then I met someone that is my twin flame. I met my twin flame pretty early. Uh, I'm not going into that whole story. One day I would love to have him on the podcast, but not yet. Met my twin flame. We had, uh, our first sexual experience together. We lost our virginities together after five months of being together. And we both had deep body image wounds and we would project them onto each other constantly. And he was always seeking power with women because he was insecure and I was in an eating disorder and closed off emotionally. So anytime I felt emotions, I judge him for it. So you can see how this cycle was not the 
absolute healthiest, but that's how twin flames typically are. You have massive amounts of love and connection, and then it feels like you are in explosive bumper cars, and you do that for as long as you can. We are still in each other's lives, so we're still learning lessons, I'm sure, on some kind of level, but in college, we learned a massive amount from each other, and it's no surprise that we were each other's first sexually because we were very magnetized to each other. And the interesting thing is when he and I became, quote, official, I was dating like three different guys and I wasn't sure about him. I didn't know if he was my number one. And he invited me to his function. We had a blast that night. We made out for like two hours, really drunkenly listening to fireflies. You would not believe your eyes and 10,000 fireflies. And we cracked up. We're like laughing so hard. I'm a freshman in college and I'm just like having the best time with this. Uh, he was also two years older than me. And we just had a party and it was just so much fun. And that morning, I told him, I just opened up to him and I said, I don't know what I want. I don't know if it's you. I don't know. And he just looked at me dead in the eyes and just goes, I know it's you. Like with so much certainty, not a flicker of doubt. Men, <laughs> you can make such a difference in the feminine's nervous system when you speak with certainty. I, I swear to God, every time a man has had conviction and certainty looking me in the eye and telling me it's you I want, I swoon. And not just in this false swoon of a roller coaster attachment. It's like, wow, I trust you. So your hesitation truly does not serve anybody when you know what you want. When the masculine energy steps up and says, this is what I want, I want to claim it. Oh my God, is. Oh, it's, it's just nourishment to our bodies because the feminine is energy. So it means she's chaos. She's all over. Sometimes she's happy. Sometimes she's sad. She wants it. She doesn't want it. So you being that rock is such a beautiful, nourishing gift. So yeah, I said yes. I was like, okay. That day I told the other guys, Sawi, I like this other guy. Um, and oh, I was a poet back then. I made him like this. I made him po poems all the time. And I printed out this poem on this glass heart for valentine's day and i misspelled a word and it was oh my god it hurt me so much i was so mad so this beautiful little glass um like figure red heart and it had this poem i wrote specifically for him and they misspelled there or something i misspelled there i don't know and when we broke up the first time he threw it out into his backyard and never could find it again but then we got back together and we ended up going off to Austin for a trip, and it was my first time to get uh, into a bar. We just walked in somehow, and then I got really quite sick, and he took uber amazing care of me, and we got back to Arkansas, and I realized how much I wanted to be in Austin, and so I, tr I secretly transferred again, another way that I was ready to pick up and leave because I'm disconnected to people, so I secretly applied to go to... Um, University of Austin in Texas, I got in, I decided to go, and me and my twin flame had broken up, and that was hard, but it also needed to happen. We were a crazy relationship, lots of up and downs there, lots of learning, so I went off to Austin. Okay, so this is when some more of the healthier experiences started to come about. I, up into, until this point, I, and this is now a sophomore in college, I did not ever 
self-pleasure. Until I was a sophomore in college, I never self-pleasured. Yeah, I didn't know about it. I didn't know that was a thing women did. That's how sheltered I was. How old are you when you're a sophomore in college? Like 20? Yeah, I was really old and still not in, not knowing that you self-pleasure for, for a hobby, <laughs> for enjoyment. So my friend told me about getting a vibrator and I ended up buying the same one she had. I ordered it. Uh, oh, I felt so secretive. Like my, my three roommates were home and they said, Madeline, you have a package. I ran and grabbed it from her and I ran into my room, cleaned it, and then used it for the first time. And I was mind blown. So mind blown. So that's when I started to experience self-pleasure for the first time when I was in college. Yeah, a late bloomer. I had still never watched any pornography. First time I watched pornography was about a year and a half ago, actually. Because I just, I grew up with that being the incarnation of the devil. And therefore, I did not want to uh, expose myself to that because it wasn't even like, I didn't even know that women looked at pornography. So I didn't even know it was a choice. Like that's how little my exploration mindset was available. I was inside of almost a literal box. I didn't even question things because I, I, I was just so sheltered about it. So, um, and I don't want to leave that off. Uh, I don't watch pornography often. I'll watch it every now and then, specifically pornography that's made for women where women are treated beautifully and with care and men worship her. But even then, it's few and far in between. It never leaves me feeling connected to God. It just makes me feel like a creeper on other people. Um, But also, if I get a hankering for it, I'm like, I really just want to just chill out. I don't want to connect with God in this moment. I just want to come back down to earth and my body really needs some pleasure and enjoyment and I want to be electrified. I might do it. Again, few, far in between and very selective on what I watch. I think that's very important. Uh, The way we process the world is through images. So you want to be really careful what you're putting into your mind, putting into your space. It can be great for like um, healing sexual wounds like it's been it's been helpful for me in some ways watching girls get really messy and watching them be really in their power and watch them make funny sounds right like ah, 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 like whatever sounds they make it's it's in that way it's been a little nourishing for me because I thought women always needed to be perfect 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 uh, polite sweet um, don't make any sounds all these things so it's helped me in a sense to get uh, a, a grip on reality of like it's okay to not be perfect but then there's the other far extreme of not reality of these people being porn stars and doing things that are crazy that most women don't want to do and should not have to do so discernment 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 these are not energies you just want to pour into your life for fun you want to be really intentional if you ever watch any you want to be selective and you need to listen to your intuition the moment your womb starts to close to something like that close your laptop all right so where are we now um first sex toy got it loved it used it um and then yeah so around that time I started just uh, I was also a bodybuilder I was in my eating disorder. Man, I'm sharing a lot of really dark stuff in this episode. I promise we're getting to the soft, sweet stuff pretty soon. I was a bodybuilder and my sexuality and my hardened nature was at its peak. This was when 
I was trying to get rid of anything that reminded me I was a woman. Plenty of episodes on this in the first couple hundred podcast episodes. I just was not comfortable being a woman or having any curves or softness. I had deep body image issues and I used my toy, but I was also really disconnected from my femininity, even though it was the quote, most perfect I've ever looked in my life. Long blonde hair, perfect makeup, perfect little dresses. Um, So, so, so severely disconnected from my body and intimacy and relationships and communication. I was having fun. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I was I was a sweet kid. I was a sweet girl and I was. Uh, very open, very adventurous, had a traveler's mindset, started my blog, started podcasting soon after this, and had a passion for helping people. I was creating my first website, which was Moon Fitness, and doing fitness tips and helping people, helping lots of people. So I was on a good path. I just was really insecure about being a woman. This ended after my second bodybuilding show and I moved to Colorado because I was getting this really strong desire to be in the mountains and surrounded by Mother Earth and then I adopted a dog and I noticed I had this desire to nurture something and then I started intuitive eating. I used my intuition to govern what I ate and I got a job at a place that was a, a a center for eating psychology and surrounded myself with people who also had the same mindset about nurturing your body. And I talked to the mountains and I started to walk barefoot and get really connected to the earth. And I did a lot of this on my own. I did a lot of this on my own. I moved to Colorado knowing not a single person. And when I look back on this, it was my own feminine saying, let's retreat. Let's go in. Let's use our intuition. Let's gain weight. Let's be soft. So I did. And that was a incredible experience to listen to my intuition, say something and just say, okay, all right, let's do it. Uh, there is a shadow side because again, I had friends in Austin. I just picked up and left. <laughs> There's always a shadow and a light, but I came to Colorado and started anew. And that's when the podcast was born. And I got curious about body image healing and intimacy and I started to date some people and and get more stronger cues on my from my body saying yes this this person is a yes or no this person's a no I just started getting more uh, subtle cues that in my body were also obvious I just felt like my womb space was tightening whenever I was with a particular person versus my womb space opening when I was with a different person saying yes we like this or no we don't I met a guy who I started to date more seriously. We became pretty infatuated with each other, but not in a anxious avoidant attachment style kind of way, but just like pretty even keel, just really, um, we had a good balance between alpha, alpha energy, omega, omega energy, and alpha, omega. So we could easily be in power couple mode and we could then switch into best friend mode and then we could switch into polarity. He was this beautiful Persian who did jujitsu and very, very, very um, big on family, his family and dogs. And he had a lot of feminine essence. And he triggered me because that's still the time when I was slowly moving into my feminine. I still didn't really know what was happening. I was a body image coach, but I was seeing his feminine essence and his creativity and learning from it, getting triggered from it, learning from it, triggered from it. And we had some really beautiful sex. I mean, he was one of the first people to take 
care of me. And it was hard at first. I was so used to either giving or getting it over with. And he took care of me and found pleasure in it. And a lot of the times, I remember specifically with this man, I was in my head. I was in my head because taking care of me and taking care of women typically takes time. And when you are, when you have a partner that might be going down on you, that's a lot of time where your brain and you are just together. And so you might be going into your head as he is pleasuring you. And it's kind of uh, not, not um, crossing each other out, but it can feel conflicting to be so up in your head while you have something going on in your body. What that is typically is disembodiment. It's going into the head. In Ayurvedic terms, it's very vata. It's very airy. It's an imbalanced vata. So you're in anxiety and in fear. And it's it's almost like a fight or flight freeze response. When in reality, he just wants to, or she, you know, whoever your partner is, they just want to give you pleasure and enjoyment. So that time period in my life, it needed to run its course. If that's where you are, it will run its course. I promise you. I wanted to fix it. I really did. I wanted to fix it immediately. Why do I keep overthinking in my head? Why do I stay in my head? It was because I was feeling guilty for the pleasure. So my brain was trying to rationalize it while I was receiving pleasure. And this happened with him for a few months until bit by bit, I started to soften and ease into him and to realize, okay, what if he was going to give me pleasure for the rest of my life and it was never going to end? What if I was going to choose to receive pleasure from this man for the rest of my life and it was never going to end? If I knew I was destined for, for to forever receive pleasure, would I obsess over it over and over and over every time? Or would I somehow stop resisting it and ease into it and relax? So I ended up making the latter choice. And one of the other ways that's really served me is to make sound. Um, one mechanism a lot of feminine beings who struggle with pleasure use in order to be disembodied is to stop breathing and stop making any noise just like complete quiet or make noise to please him Mm, ah, mm, mm, mm. but it's not authentic or maybe even fake it to get it over with or hold your breath so my encouragement to you if this is the stage you are in is to begin breathing from your lower belly as you're receiving the pleasure breathe in your lower belly soften Three things, breathe into your lower belly, not your chest, lower belly, make sound. And sound is a way we amplify our pleasure. So if something feels good, but you're stuck in your head, simply make the sound of how it feels. (sighs) Or whatever the sound is that comes out of you, make a sound, make a sound. If you take anything from this entire episode, it is to make a sound when you feel stuck in your pleasure, make a sound. And don't, don't overthink it. I know it's easier to say that than, than do that. But sometimes I get questions from people like, but what if the sound doesn't really feel natural? Is it me faking it? Typically, no, it's you getting comfortable doing something that you're uncomfortable with. I don't think there's anything inauthentic about a sound in general. It's the intention behind it. So if, you're, if your intention is to make a sound simply to make a sound, you are on point, my love. If your intention is I'll make a sound to make him think I'm enjoying this and everything is good, that's what takes it off. So you want to make a sound simply to make a sound and help yourself get unstuck. Um, Let's see. So I said make a sound, breathe deeper, and oh yes, energetically bring your front body into your back body. 
let's say you're lying on your back and you are receiving. So often in life, we live from our front body. We walk forward. We protect our heart by closing or caving in when we cry. We energetically create a shield in our front body because we're the most susceptible there to any pain because of our heart or like literally to any physical pain if we got hit or um, uh, uh, verbal attacks. Like it's just our front of the body that receives a lot of action. So when you're receiving energetically, just bring the front of your body into the back body. You can visualize your front body melting into your back body or you can imagine a color Maybe there's a golden liquid like honey at the top of your body and it just melts all the way back into the back body. You can imagine that you are a marshmallow and chocolate being squeezed between two graham crackers. And so you're just you're the chocolate part of you, which is the front body is just melting into the back body. Those are three tools you can use to start moving out of your mind space whenever you're being intimate with a lover and just give yourself compassion for for this uh, th- this time in your life, I promise you, you, you will move out of it. The more reading I've done around sexuality, the better as well. Like reading all of these books about sexuality from olden days. There's a book called The Red Tent that made a significant impact on me. There's a book called She Comes First. There's a book called Come As You Are. There's one called Pussy all of these, uh, Love Your Lady Landscape, all of these books are really, really beautiful books that you should be reading if you are having struggles intimate with intimacy and with embracing your own intimacy and healing some of these wounds. So with this man, going back to my memoir, with this man, uh, he's the first man that I experienced. Whew, this is fun. We're getting really sexual, so this is the time to know we're going deep into the details. Um, he is the first partner I had that I ended up squirting with. And I was, we were both surprised when this happened. It was at a wedding and we were being a little bit naughty on the patio and then we ran into our room and whoa, it was like the minute my G-spot was hit, it was just waterworks. And so he thought maybe I peed the bed and I that just didn't feel right. I was like, no, I know where that comes from and I know what that feels like and that's not what this was. And um I went to my gynecologist soon after because I was getting an IUD. I do not have that anymore, but I did have an IUD during this relationship with this this man I was with. And she had said that it was because my body was just really relaxed and I'm trusting this man more. And uh, I had a few drinks that night. And so I was just really open. I was just really open. I was really relaxed. And so there was waterworks. And I loved that. I felt like to to this day, that is one of my favorite things to experience. And it's so rare that I do experience it, which to me is a little heart- heartbreaking. And I, I'm, I mean that with consciousness, like it's not that heartbreaking, but to me it kind of is because it's such an incredible gift in my body to open in that way, like the feeling I get when that happens. And to think about all the women who have not experienced that, it makes me wish that we had a lot of tools available for all of us men and women to learn how to access this part of uh, our bodies because it's truly magical even for the masculine partner to be able to give this and to be able to see what it does to his feminine partner when she can open up in that way and the gift it is to be that trusted that her body says yes I'm going to release all of this stored energy because uh, because I love I love life this feels good Um, I've only ever experienced that with one 
or two other people, but one other partner in particular. And just going to drop this in here. The reason why this other partner knew how to do this and he did it on my body literally every time we were together is because he went to a training through this man named Charles Muir. Charles Muir is a tantric teacher who teaches something called the sacred spot massage and sacred spot massage is a certain way that you use your fingers to access the sacred spot in a woman and it leads to this it's like a whole like three turns to the left three turns to the right three turns to the left up and down side to side I don't know it's some some kind of technique um, I saw Charles Muir in New York, actually. He came here and did a very small talk in this really small room. And he did a little a raffle, and I won one of his DVDs. I remember him handing it to me. like It was like Madeline Moon. And I, I went up to the front of the room, and he's like, here's your DVD. Go find yourself a nice man to do this with. I was like, sure. It's still in its wrap right now, because who has a DVD player? Um but yeah, this other man that I was with knew how to do this. And so he was a Taurus. I mean, he was all about the candles and the light. And he would light the candles, put on the music, and do this sacred spot thing on me all the time. And our relationship lasted about four months. He also happened to be a musician that was sleeping on the floor of his studio that he rented out. <laughs> and uh, was temporarily renting a car and um, just, you know, 40 years old and I was at this time 26 and or 27, no, 26. He was just really on his journey to learn how to be a grown-up, you know. And so I battled with that internally a lot of spending all this time with this man and I want something with him because this is magical and beautiful, but also at the same time, there's another ingredient I need to fully trust and surrender for the long term, and that is stability. I say all this because sometimes in our life we learn different lessons with different people who aren't meant to be our life partners, but we receive some sort of gift from them. And this is why it's so important to let go of the checklist. Because this partner, if I had had this checklist of, okay, you're 40, you got to make sure you also have a house by now and a car you own and an actual job and all these things, then I would have missed out completely on this beautiful soul and and how I could learn from him and, and um, geez, just spend beautiful time together and open to someone that's not perfect in all these different ways because Lord knows I'm not either. And with this man... Our third date was at a nudist colony spring, uh, spring water, whatever they're called, um, bathhouse thing. I don't know. It was, we drove two hours away and then we um, went to this nudist hot springs. That's the word I'm looking for, hot springs. And he thought I had done this before and I didn't tell him I never had because I didn't want him to be like, are you okay? Are you okay? So we get there and we just strip naked and we hop in the water with all these other naked people and he's not asking me if I'm okay because he thinks I'm used to this and I was definitely not gonna let him know but I did let him know when we got in our car to go home two days later because we stayed the night and I was like you know that's my first time to ever go to um, a nudist hot springs and he was like what um, but we had a great time and I'm so grateful for that experience of being with this man and learning from him and opening from him because he ultimately is what catapulted me into the work I do today because I was so interested in what he did to my body and how he opened me up and I felt God with him 
and this Charles Muir guy and I started being more and more interested and one thing led to the next and I'm doing my own sort of tantric studies albeit not sexual tantric with physical and like physical body and using sexual contact but what I do is more spiritual intimacy eye gazing and getting erotic tension through polarity which I love this path that I have taken it's exactly what I want but thanks to him it introduced me to this all right so (laughs) we're getting there um so after this man I ended up having a few fun experiences and traveling and then I ended up dating yeah I had longer I had a few of the people that I dated for two months four months two months four months until I, um, let's see, I, I missed, o- I skipped over someone. There was another person that I had been with, um, that I had the best sex of my life with. Um, but that was not the healthiest also. He, we had a very avoidant and anxious relationship. I have a podcast that I did right after this. I believe it's called Grieving What Could Have Been or, uh, Grieving or, I have two, I think, what could have been and one about emotional abuse. And that emotional abuse was about this man I was with. I was with him for on and off for a year. And he had a family I didn't know about. He had three children and he kept it secret from me. And this guy was from the Marines and he always had guns. And there was so much about him that was major polarity, like major. I'm the total opposite. I'm just this everything can be peaceful and let's wear our goddess gowns together come on women and he's like on our first date he has this ginormous rifle in his truck and he would come over and stay the night with me and and eat subway sandwiches and put a gun underneath the mattress and oh lord almighty he was so opposite of me that I just swooned oh my god tatted up all on his arms blonde hair also blue eyes six foot four muscled he's got this big tattoo that's right across his beautiful little v yeah but he was a liar (laughs) he was a liar madeline stay focused he was a liar he did a lot of deep 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 psychological damage whenever i found out about his kids and I i thought how could i have bought into this and I had a lot of shame because even after I found out about all this, I still wanted to be with him. And he, in the end, is the one that was like, no, you'll never trust me again. We cannot keep dating. But then he also played this whole thing of, if only you hadn't found out, we'd still be together. I probably would have asked you to marry me. Ladies, loves, if anyone ever says that to you, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. It makes me so mad. I was watching a show the other day, I think it was 90 Day Fiance, and and I know everyone thinks these are scripted. I think some things are not scripted, though. And someone found out something about another guy, and he said the same thing. If only you didn't find out, I would ask you to marry me. It's never, ever the case. That is something that narcissists say to make you still stay hooked and make you put the attention back on yourself to feel guilty that you found out the truth. It's not true. All that said, I'm not I'm not going into that today, but we had the best sex of my entire life, uh, three-hour sessions, like sometimes in his truck, 
Um, he was just a sexual God and it was beautiful and divine. And I will take that experience and I will be grateful for it. And I also know that he was, I'm so grateful for that whole experience because even as an actor, when we do these emotional exercises, I get to use my anger at him and that moment of finding out about his family and all of that in so many acting exercises, so many And that relationship was what launched me into learning about attachment styles, avoidant and anxious, avoidant and avoidant, anxious and anxious. So I'm grateful for that experience. And I have had some really instant moments in my body where I just, I think of him and I truly wish him well. I hope he's doing well because I know deep within he is, he is a good soul. He's just been hurt and he was a Marine and he saw things and he had a hard upbringing. So I understand all of that. And I'm super grateful for the beautiful sexual experiences we had together. Okay. So fast forward to where we are today, pretty much. I'm skipping over some, some things because this episode is going quite long. Um, sexuality is a forever journey. Where you are now is a part of that journey, whether you're listening to all this and you're grossed out by me or you're inspired by me or you're triggered by me or you are jealous of me. I'm just sharing this to give you a really deep look at the inside and the inside of a sexual journey because not many people are talking about their whole sexual journeys. Two things I didn't mention that I will also share is that I have a, um, my body hasn't done this recently, but throughout my whole life of being a sexual being, I've bled a lot. Something about the inside of my cervix is really tender. And so she bleeds a lot. And I've had a lot of moments of shame of bleeding on sheets and being messy and seeing my mess right in front of me. And I can just, I tell you from the bottom of my heart, this part of being a living, breathing, animated woman. It's okay. Whether it's your period blood or it's your sensitive cervix, it's okay. And I promise you they don't care nearly as much as we think they care. Let it be a moment of you experiencing your raw, wild woman. Allow that blood to be like a tiger that's just ripped open her prey. Like use it for you to touch base with your primalness. See that red, see that blood and realize you are an animated, living, breathing animal. Like use it however you would like. Use it to just remind yourself that, yes, you are a woman, to realize that your body is being opened, to see the cycle that is running through you. And the second thing that I I struggled with a lot was um, perfectionism down there. I used to shave and then I would wax and then I'd shave and eventually God was like, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to give you a lesson. And I got folliculitis, which is an infection of the follicles. So I had bumps all down there and there was a lot of shame and I experienced also a lot of healing through it because I had to learn in that moment how to love my lady landscape even when she did not look perfect and pristine and I'd hop on Instagram and see all these perfect models that were totally air uh, photo airbrushed sorry airbrushed or photoshopped and 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 then I judge myself being like look how perfect hers is mine's not perfect However your state of your yoni is, is perfect. And again, they don't care. They don't care. They don't care. Every single yoni looks different. Some have very big labia, some have small, some are darker, some are lighter, some are pinker, some are browner. They're all very, 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 very different. 
love your lady landscape, whether you have a little bit of folliculitis like me and I did, or you have ingrown hairs, or you shave it, or it's never shaved and it's super hairy and you're rocking a 90s bush, whatever you've got, you love it because it is a part of your primal self. For anyone that is curious about folliculitis and you do get it, the way that I healed it was through laser hair removal. The only way I could get rid of all of the bumps was through laser hair removal. It took me 12 sessions and it still didn't go away. My hair is still growing. I stopped getting laser hair removal though because I I fixed the original problem. I just wanted to heal the bumps and they're healed. So if you do have that, unfortunately, that might be the only way to get rid of it. Fortunately, you may not have to do all that many sessions probably like five will at least get rid of the the um the folliculitis so I just wanted to drop that in your next steps your next steps get the book city of girls for a fun read on reclaiming your sexuality and get sex at dawn and get dear lover and get all the books I listed earlier I'll have these in the show notes um These are just some lovely books to help you explore your intimacy and also read books about sexuality with with um, in religion and like how women were actually really empowered to have sexuality back in BC and AC and how sex has always been a gift, how sex is the ultimate way we are connected with the divine because she's called the creator for the reason she's called the divine for a reason because she is the ultimate creator. And I believe God is a woman and I'm getting into the habit of saying she because it feels right for me. So she is the ultimate creator, the ultimate birther. And how do you become a birther? You have sex. So every time you are engaging in sex, you are so beautifully close to God and goddess. Yay, that's my sexual memoir. Um, Yeah, wow. I mean, I just don't even know where to go from here. Um. I guess I have a, okay, a couple last notes. Um, These days, I have an entire drawer dedicated to my crystal wands, my sex toys. I have one for couples and partners. I have one just for me. I have several just for me. Um, I have have clothes. I have fun little clothes. I have a little, like, schoolgirl outfit. I have a harness. I have dark gowns. Um, I have a play, I have playlists that I make just for the mood. I treat my sexuality like it's sacred because it is. Sexuality is sacred with others or with myself. But if you're someone who's been holding off on exploring your own body because maybe you don't have a partner and so you notice that you stop touching your own body whenever you're not in love with another person, use that use that, use that realization to say, well, let me get curious about this. I wonder why I have to be in love with someone else in order to love my own body and start slow. Maybe you begin by creating pleasure on your legs and you just run your hands up and down your legs. Or maybe you buy yourself some really beautiful lingerie that is your little secret. Maybe you give yourself a boob hickey. I don't know how my boobs are too small for that. But if you can, I highly recommend it. I bet it's pretty cool. Maybe you find yourself some uh, some sex toys that you really love and enjoy not to get hooked on because I do think you can get hooked on the vibrations but to bring a little spice into your experience or maybe you just get more intimate with your own hands and um, explore what you like and what feels good so that's all I'm going to say for my memoir today thank you for listening to episode 300 of the mind body musings podcast obviously I'd love to hear your thoughts on this this was a big episode where we covered a lot do you have anything you want me to dive deeper into 
you want me to do a separate podcast on any of these subjects, let me know. I'd be happy to go in deeper. Uh, happy quarantining. What is a better thing you could do during quarantine than have sex? Probably eat food. Probably watch Tiger King or Ozark. But still, you can do all of that at the same time. And that would be super freaky. Okay. Love you all. Happy quarantining. See you soon.